10 seconds. I'm gonna shut the door. Two seconds. Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host today, Peter Karutz, and I'm here with Father Hogan, Father David Hogan. Thanks for joining us this wonderfully hot summer day. Yeah, nothing like a good humid day to, to really welcome you to the, to the great gateway of the West. You How know? about it? How about it? Summer in St. Louis, uh, we're most thankful for what? Air conditioning, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a special feast day for, for that man. I think so. I yeah. think so. Well, there probably is, huh? Maybe. <laughs> well, we are here with Father Hogan, and we're going to talk about faith, vocation, and sports. And I've got all kinds of stuff here to 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 help us out. So we're actually videotaping this too, so you can probably ask for a copy of it. But I've got all kinds of stuff, paraphernalia. And Father has a great story and insight with regard to faith, vocation, and sport. What's sport? I don't even know what sport is anymore. We've given that up here, not for Lent, but for half the year, I, I think. <laughs> but as I always say, we, uh, or as I'm supposed to do, we start with a prayer, and I always forget. So, Father, would you start, it off, start us off with a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. God, who is a gracious and good Father, we thank you for the many gifts of our lives. We thank you for the gifts of vocation, faith, and sports which truly enliven us and give us great hope in these times, but also lead us to our final end, which is our union with you. We ask to please bless all those listening today, those who may be struggling with their faith, or those who may be seeking to find more answers to the questions of their lives. We make these prayers in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, Father, Son, Son Holy Spirit, Amen. So let me tell you a little bit about Father. First off, he is the associate pastor at my parish, well, at least for now. And he couple will, more weeks, right? Couple more weeks. I'll miss you. When, uh, well, you give me a place to go on a field trip, and Father will be reassigned at the end of the month to uh, uh, Immaculate Conception of Dardine, which is a great parish, by the way. Just a great parish. You know, I know some of the men over there, and you know the men's group? There's a great men's group there. They call every single new parishioner and welcome them and ask the man, men to join the men's group. I mean, it's, it's so many great traditions over That's there. That's excellent. That's good to hear. They're lucky to have you, Father. They're lucky to have you. So we're going to be talking about faith and sport, but, you know, uh, just to know a little bit more about Father, he's actually um, going to stumble a little bit when you ask him what high school you went to, because Father actually did not grow up here in St. Louis. Where are you from, Father? Yeah, dare I say heresy on the radio. <laughs> we get a bell. Where's the bell for heresy? That's right. I mean, you could ask me what high school I went to, but when I say the name, you're going to be like, and where is that? Yeah, yeah. Were you fibbing again? What? Yeah. So I actually, I grew up in rural Colorado. I lived there 18 years. I went to a, an Archdiocesan high school called Bishop Matchbuff High School. And Bishop Matchbuff, he was the first bishop of, of uh, Colorado. And so it was a diocesan school, and, and uh, it was a great time there. And uh, by God's gracious uh, gifts, uh, I became on a great adventure after high school, and, and here I am, the Rome of the West. So. That's right. That's right. And Father and Monsignor Witt tells me that uh, Colorado used to be part of the Archdiocese of St. Louis at one point in time. Interesting. Yeah, Father Witt says so anyway. Great. Uh, anyway, so Father, tell me, uh, we're... we're when we talk about faith, we usually don't have a lot to say about sport. Although I'm gonna, I'm gonna change that a little bit, you know, because you know I, I go to London a lot, and they all have their team, their football team, their soccer team. But I also have my team, so you can't see this on the radio. <laughs> but I got a bunch of hats here. So first off, I got my hat here for MDD, which is my, my uh, business, and then I got my hat that I got from uh, a really good Lutheran friend of mine for my birthday a couple of years ago, and that's uh, my. My real team, it says Catholic, 100%. Would this say 100%? It says Catholic, established in 33. And I got a bunch of other hats, but I'll put on this last hat, and it has a big D, and that's my high school team. In high school, we were the deacons. Uh, yeah, it was a seminary. So we have our teams, right, Father? We have our teams. We associate with them. We identify with them. We love them, right? Absolutely. And I, I know I went to St. Edward's for grade school. Here's my jersey when I was in uh, eighth grade. I hope you can all see this on the radio. And uh, we'd, we'd always have our little cheers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we'd... Uh, you know, we'd put the hands together and then we'd say, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, right? You know, mm -hmm. we, we were a little different than the other team. Yeah. 
right? And right. we'd pray, we'd pray Hail Mary before we started the game. We'd pray in our Father when we ended the game. So sport and religion, I guess they can mix in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly uh, religious, uh, let's just say, actions associated with sports. Like, uh, you know, you hockey players especially, they're very uh, scrupulous about that. For example, Patrick Waugh, again, another uh, Colorado reference, he would actually jump over all the blue lines in order to get to his crease uh, before. And just a lot of these other idiosyncrasies that to us seem indifferent, but to them are very important. And one of the great things about sports is that it draws you to something bigger than yourself. And I think right. that's what's so um, in, um, entertaining about sports is that if I'm wearing my favorite team shirt and you're wearing my favorite team shirt, then there's a common bond. It's an unspoken bond. And then when you go to these arenas like Jerry Jones World and, and, Cal and um, Cowboy Country, you see all these people cheering for your team, hence the Cowboys, which is debatable whether or not they're America's team. But that's, <laughs> for, another, that's for another day. But again, it's just the goodness of wanting to unite to a bigger cause in yourself, and that's what's so enjoyable about sport. I was in Tokyo in November, and uh, what I had done is I brought a bunch of hats, Cardinals hats, to give as gifts. You always exchange gifts to, with your clients. But uh, we're, we're in downtown Tokyo, and my wife had to go to the bathroom, so we went to Mr. Donuts or something. So I'm standing there. It's so crowded. Talk about social distancing not existent over there. And... I'm looking over as I'm waiting, I'm looking over and on the table across from me, there is a St. Louis Cardinals hat. I'm wearing a Cardinals jersey. I'm in Tokyo for goodness sakes. So I went over, I have a picture with this guy. There's Cardinals fans. You're right. There was this connection. We couldn't speak a word of each other's language, <laughs> but there's that connection. Exactly. And that's, that's just the great thing about being on God's team is... You know, the Catholic Mass, the Catholic faith, although maybe spoken in a different language, in a, in a different context, in a different uh, demographic, it's still the one Catholic universal that we all as Catholics are so proud of in these times of uncertainty. But it's what unites us. I mean, I was a missionary for two years all over the country, and no matter where we were in the continental U.S., the Mass was still the same. You still had the one sacrifice, and, and that was not only reassuring, but it gave us great confidence that the parish that I went to growing up as a kid for 8,000 times is the same structure that people all around the U.S. from, you know, <clears throat> California to New Mexico to North Dakota, it's, it's all the same. Yeah, and it is, I always call it my church. I've gone to Mass in Spain and Italy and yeah. in, in Brazil and South America and in, in, uh, Chile and Colombia and, and not only in Tokyo. And not only is it the same, if you will, but as you're saying, it is welcoming. Mm -hmm. You know, especially in some of these far out places, you walk in and and you know what? People will notice you because mm -hmm. you are a little bit uh, unfamiliar. But I've always felt so welcome. Yeah. Absolutely so welcome. Yeah. And that's, that's hopefully what every pastor tries to create within his own parish is not only having greeters and people that are formally there at the doors, but when I walk into a parish, do I feel as if they care about me? Right? Mm -hmm. So we, we talk about, I, I joke with parishioners, all the time when I would call the Pew Universe. So The Pew Universe? Yeah, it's, it's alive and well, friends. <laughs> alive and well. It even happens in the seminary, believe it or not. So the Pew Universe, Pew Universe basically says, when I sit in Pew 1, I, I am there. And if I don't sit there, person B may take my spot. Well, then uh. if I actually show up, then the whole world is thrown out of whack. I mean, whether or not God exists, that's a whole other question because... <laughs> then that person sits in my chair and that chair and that chair, and then you have a lot of people frustrated throughout the entire Mass, believe it or not, that you are in their chair, unbeknownst to the fact that the sacrifice of the Mass is still taking place. Yeah, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but I remember <laughs> one Thanksgiving, there was this one elderly lady who was very upset. It wasn't Thanksgiving, it was Christmas, I think yeah. it was. And I couldn't understand why she was upset, and she said, I know you won't believe this, Somebody is sitting in my pew. Oh, yes. Oh, it's alive and boy. well, friends. It, it really is. Oh, it's just, it's just crazy. It even happens in the seminary, believe it or not. I, I, that's what you said. I think you're fibbing again. What, is no, I, I have a possible? true story. I saw it firsthand in firsthand account. So typically the first day in chapel of every academic year, that's the most important day because that's when you, believe it or not, pick out your seat for the entire academic year. And I remember one time... <laughs> 
It was a transitional deacon, and so deacons are just before the, they get ordained, and then a first-year theologian came, and this first-year theologian, very naive, very kind, humble, simple, whatever it may be, sat in this transitional deacon oh, spot. Oh, my goodness. And I was watching it unravel right before my eyes, in which this transitional deacon came up and basically said, you need to get up, that's my spot. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's a growth in charity on all ends oh, of the spectrum. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I guess I shouldn't have criticized this old woman too much. I oh, guess she's man. just following the work. But let me key on something you said a moment ago. Yeah. You, you, you know, as a pastor, I think you said you want people to, what did you say? Feel you want people to feel welcome and yeah. not just so much as a number or as just somebody showing up that day. Let, let, me, let me take that to the extreme on the other end. And, and first off, look, we always point to our pastors to, to, and priests to, to make the difference, to make people feel welcome, et cetera, et cetera. But let, mm-hmm. me, let me change that just a smidge. You know, when my daughters were younger, especially on the weekend on a Saturday, for example, I'm running from here to there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping them off here, picking them up there. In fact, that's why I got my daughter a cell phone first because I actually forgot to pick her up one day, so I thought I better get her cell phone, not for her, for me. Anyway, so I'm sitting in a Breadco, and you cannot help but overhear. I have my computer out. I'm trying to get a little work done, and there's two ladies sitting, eating, and a third lady came up, younger women. These must be in their early 30s. At least that's what I consider young. And this one was hopping mad, hopping mad, and they, they all knew each other. And why? Because she was having an issue, a, a problem in her life, and her friends at church didn't reach out to her. So mm-hmm. she left that particular community. I'm not calling it a church. It was a Protestant community. Yeah. And, and then she left. I, I, am I trying to eavesdrop? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm deaf now. I wasn't deaf then. I mean, it was loud. And then these other two carried on. And here's what it told me. We, we better be reaching out to our, our, our folks in the pews, whether they're in our seat or not, right? Because there are people who are really looking for community, uh, especially today. Holy smokes, we're not seeing each other anymore. We can't just point to the pastor and assume that he reads everybody's mind and knows what's going on. We folks in the pew, we, we need to look at our brothers and sisters and, and be sensitive to them and under, you know see the expression on their face if they're they're hurting or longing or, or, or something is, is going wrong. And, and I'll, I'll say one more thing, and I'll let you comment on this, Father, but we better, we better realize the Holy Spirit is involved in this too. And if he's prompting you or prodding you, get off your seat and, and do something, say something. Am I wrong, Father? No, I mean, I would say even to the point of habit. So the parishioners that sit in the same pew every week, every year, um, every decade or whatever, and there are people around you that are sitting in the same situation. I was actually reading an interesting article, I think it was yesterday. It was just basically talking about how that the more we do something out of habit, the less we basically use brain cells because it's, it's a conditioned reaction. So it's just like when we come into our pews, we're not even really thinking because that's a repeated habit of behavior. So p- even people around us that we've sat around next to, just because that's our pew, because that's our mass, we sometimes aren't really thinking as much about, oh, I should probably check in on the person sitting next to me because I've already exercised that habit of getting to the pew. And it's amazing how even after 15, 20 years that people who sit by each other are finally starting to get to know each other. And, Seriously, and, yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing how fast this world is going, and yet the church is always a great way to kind of bring people back. You know, Matthew Kelly, he talks about carefree timelessness. And mm. I don't think it's by coincidence that there are, there actually there are no uh, clocks in churches. Now, it doesn't mean that the pastor or the priest doesn't see one in the back, see how his time's doing, his homily. <laughs> but for the most part, you don't see clocks in churches because, right. again, God is outside of time. It, it's, time is subjective to God. You know, a thousand years is like one day, and... and one day is like a thousand years. But within that space, within that divine time that I would like to say, that that's where we have that great opportunity to get up out of our heads, so to speak, and just say, oh my goodness, you know, how are you doing today? Anne or John or Mark or Sarah or whatever it may be. And even if you don't know me, Father, uh, Bishop, uh, Archbishop Carlson uh, came and celebrated Mass for our 50th anniversary for yeah. uh, Incarnate Word. And he gave us homework, if I recall. He gave us five things to do for homework. Yeah. I, I, one of them, I won't go through all five. One of them was read, 
read uh, the Gospel of Matthew for mm -hmm. five minutes every day. He says, in a month, your life will be changed. The other thing he said, and this is something I did anyway, he said, at every Mass you go to, say hello to somebody you don't know. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he had all kinds of good reasons for it. And I, I did it, I do it, and it just annoys my younger daughter because she thinks it's creepy. But uh, <laughs> we, were, we had to go to Ascension for Mass one day because they were in some activity and it wasn't working out to go. So we decided to... Uh, to, to go to Ascension. And by the way, this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm Peter Karutz, your host, and I'm with Father David Hogan from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, currently at Incarnate Word. In a few moments, he'll blink his eye and he'll be over at Incar um, uh, Immaculate Conception of Dardeen, Great Parish. Anyway, so I was saying it, we went to uh, Ascension and um, Mass ended. And there was a lady behind me, easy when you're at a parish you're not belonging to that you can say, so I said hello to her. I said, hi, it was good sharing Mass with you. And uh, we're walking out of the pew. <laughs> My daughter says, why do you do that? That is so embarrassing. I wish you wouldn't do that. And I feel a tap. I'm kind of tall. I feel a tap on my shoulder. And this, this lady's there. And she, hmm. she, she says, she said, thank you for... Um, Thank you for you know, greeting me. Thanks for saying that you enjoyed sharing Mass with me. So, oh, yeah, yeah. She says, today would have been my 50th wedding anniversary. And my oh. husband died this year. Oh, we man. always went to Mass together. Wow. So thank you know, the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in everybody's life. If you feel tapped on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit, do it. Mm -hmm. You won't be sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had a lot of those moments as a priest, and you just know that, as a priest once said to me, Lord, make my life interruptible. <laughs> and, interruptible? Uh, yeah, I know it's the opposite of what our culture wants. We like yeah. control and security, but it's true because every moment is not ours. And so trying to remember that, it helps us to get out of our own selves as priests, as men of God, and saying how can we still be, be attentive to the needs around us and not to, again, go back into that habit of just this is just the routine of my day, my month, my year, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and as you said, we're all on the same team. We're on, I've got two hats about my team here, the Catholic team, but we, yeah. we are all on the same team. Yeah. So tell me, Father, I know, and if you know Father, you know that he is a big sportsman, but what, your sport was hockey. Mm -hmm. how, how, was, how was faith involved in hockey, or was it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I, when I first started deciding what I wanted to play, my dad actually was a very talented football player, and he was also a swimmer and weightlifter. In fact, he trained a lot of um, good athletes in Colorado, and that's kind of the path I wanted to go down. But um, unbeknownst to me, and even really outside of my control, I had a heart murmur. So my mom mm. said, nope, you're not playing football, and also because we also lived up the street from this park where they had the youth football leagues. And let's just say the coaches weren't speaking uh, nice words to uh -huh, the players. Yes. And so, you know, the mom card had to step in over dad, and that was the end of that. And then, honestly, I got into hockey because, truth be told, I saw a fight on TV, and I'm like, wow, that looks interesting. Uh, that's better than football. Yeah, and so just one thing led to another, and I, I got very um, very dedicated to it and uh, was honing my craft. I played 13 years, played on, you know, some travel teams, and, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, I, and, you know, faith can be a part of sport part of sport and, and it should be yeah I guess and I think for every athlete that's always the temptation and want to think that that's my gift or that's something that I was all of my hard work is attributed to me and it took me a little bit to kind of get used to that uh, even as I started um, nearing the end of my careers I would maybe lack thereof call it because is when things weren't really work, working well for me and having foot surgeries and multiple concussions. Oh, boy. And that was just like the, the break in the ice, um, for pun intended sake, was it was really um, a turning point in my life, really, because, sure, I could have maybe continued, but at what cost? And true. the more you go up in any league or any sport, uh, the more <clears throat> physical it can become, like for hockey. And so I really had to weigh my health and everything like that, even though I still enjoy it to this day. But all of us. Do you play? Um, I play a little bit. I mean, when I first was ordained, I was chaplain at Duchenne High School, uh -huh. just up the street there, and played a little bit with um, some of the people on Incarnate Word. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, 
all of us have shelf lives. I've, even yeah, if you do make right. it to the big show or whatever it is, you still have a shelf life. And there is a, a weighing cost of, you know, what is this about? Where is it heading? And for me, thankfully, I grew up in a family that we prayed. We went to Mass. We weren't like super uber Catholic, nor did we just say, you know, I guess we'll kind of have to do it. We were just a consistent family. And that's what really gave life to not only playing sports, but trying to find the God line through that all. Yeah, I have heard, and this is a little bit of a contradiction, obviously, <laughs> uh, but I, I was talking to someone, and, uh, and this has happened more than once, and I will mention or ask, what parish do you go to? It's just kind of natural. You know, here in St. Louis, you have to ask where you went to high school. But I always said, well, what parish do you go to? And I remember a few guys, they said, ah, Sunday, he says, I worship at the altar of the NFL. And, and you know what? He thought it was, well, now I got to watch my language. It was, it was pretty darn funny. I didn't think it was so funny, but it's very true. I mean, it is very, very true. There are many people who give up almost anything to worship sport, which mm -hmm. is probably not good. Yeah. And... I mean, there are great saints that give us a great example of sport. You know, uh, Pope John Paul II um, at great the time. Great athlete. Great athlete. In fact, I read a book on him where he would actually go on 100-mile walks by himself in, um, in the mountains. And he just enjoyed that. He was a, a double black diamond skier. In fact, he said, I think at one time, he said, you can't be a bad skier and a good pope at the same time. So he was... <laughs> excellence in all of that sport, but he dedicated all to God. And I think that's the difference, right? So I have no problems with people playing sport, but it's like, where is that loyalty found? Is God really at the center? Then you'll make all those uh, reactions from that, your, de your decisions from that. But if sports are there, then unfortunately may come to a crashing end sooner than later, because in all things, God is meant to be glorified. And for others, including myself, it took me a little bit to, to understand that and believe that. And, uh, but again, at the same time, I think sports are very, very essential to our society, to entertainment, but just hopefully trying to see it in better relation to the ordering of our lives. And I've heard that in many uh, stadiums at, at, uh, here at, in St. Louis, both at, at the football stadium, and, what's football again? Football stadium and, and our baseball stadium, on Sunday there is mass for the players. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 while this guy was wanting to worship at the altar, very funny, of the NFL, uh, little did he know that the NFL was worshiping at our Lord's altar. Yeah, and that's, I think every team has a chaplain. In fact, uh, the, the parish right by the, I think the Blues Arena, he actually celebrates Mass for the Blues players. And who knows if all of them show up? I mean, I'm sure it's, it's a curiosity for some and, and for others. It's a great practice that they, they uh, enjoy doing, and it's always really affirming for any young person to see that caliber of an athlete living their faith publicly. You know, and one person that comes to my mind is with a lot of people is a little known little known guy called Tim Tebow that oh, was yeah, uh, right. an athlete in Florida, and just he was not embarrassed by his faith. He was not embarrassed by that Christian upbringing, and that's so encouraging for people who are Christian believing, and they're trying to wonder how can I figure out how can I share my faith with my teammates? You know, those that, you know, we, we go to, to work every day, we go to war every day, maybe on the football field, baseball, soccer, you know, you name it. I think sport has a lot to teach us, too, maybe with regard to faith. You know, we, if you're on, a, on this great hockey team, you don't just show up on game day yeah. and perform. There is a lot of work that goes into it. There's weight training, there's drills, there's all kinds of other things, so that when you show up for the game, man, you're ready to play. Yeah. And, and uh, I think sometimes we all just, some people maybe just show up on game day Sunday to Mass. There's, there's a lot of things we ought to be doing in between game and game, Sunday and Sunday, Mass and Mass, to be properly disposed, to be yeah. ready to go. And that's one of the things I've, I've really taken from sport in my life, who our whole family are sports, my brother, my sister, myself, my parents, just the nature of preparation and how the, the need to persevere through difficult times. You know, right. there are people that have dry spots in their faith and they question whether or not God exists. And that's a real honest struggle for a lot of people. I mean, look at the Old Testament, like Isaiah and Elijah, who literally would wrestle with God over their own life, their direction. And at the same time, the one of the things that we learn from sport is it's not so much in the moment because every moment will pass. 
It's how are you willing to dedicate yourself through the difficult moments to realize that there is, to use kind of a resurrection kind of way of looking at <clears throat> your sports, not so much just for the end result in itself, but what all these things are teaching you about life, being a good teammate, being somebody who's willing to really sacrifice themselves for a greater good. I mean, all those values come into your life, whether it be a husband, a wife, whether it be a teacher, an educator, um, a businessman. There are so many ways I think sport can really help your life going forward. Yeah, and you know, I, I, in football, they always talk about the playbook, right? Yeah. And I know in hockey, you probably do drills when you have your, your squads that go on and go off, right? But you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe just to throw out a practical example, our men's group, and we actually didn't do it this morning, our men's group, what we do is we read the readings for Sunday on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing. One of, the, one of the things I used to do when I was at Mass on Sundays is I would read along with the reader. But now, what, what do we do? Our men's group, we read the readings before on the Saturday. We chat about them. We talk about them. And then I've got a day to think about it, right? And mm -hmm. then I have a day to talk to my family about it. And when I sit at Mass, game day, I'm listening. I'm not reading. I'm letting God talk to me. Sometimes I do too much talking. I think we need to listen. I need to listen. Well, I hear that music, so we're gonna, the break has come up again too quickly, but we'll, we'll be back in just a few minutes. We're here with Father David Hogan. He's a priest at Incarnate Word here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, soon to be moved. Uh, we'll miss him, but other people will benefit from him. And we're talking about faith, vocation, and sport. Who would have ever thought they have anything to do with each other? But they do. Uh, also, I'll tell you how you can ask for a copy of this program or any other program when we come back. So take a two-minute break. Go tell somebody to tune into this program because it's important. And uh, come on back in about two minutes. Well, we're back. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I am your host, Peter Karutz, and we're with Father David Hogan. And we're talking about faith, vocation, and sport. I didn't know they came together. Let me uh, give you another phone number, by the way. We're adding phone numbers as everyone else is. If you want a copy of this broadcast or any other one, you can call us at, the number's getting easier, 800-500-4556. I'll do that again, 800-500-4556. During the break, Father and I were talking a little bit about uh, carrying on with the, the, the gospel, if you will, or preparing for the, for the readings. What were you saying, Father? Yeah, I would just say it's like the famous axiom, those who uh, fail to plan should plan to fail. And so much of our lives are based upon preparation. You know, obviously the, the big preparation for preparing for our final journey home, but also throughout our lives. And it's not just a faith uh, component, it's just how do we structure our lives in such a way that we're <clears throat> in some ways in a best position to succeed. And so I think sport in a lot of ways can teach people of faith how to do that in their own spiritual lives. You know, as, as you mentioned, Peter, reading the readings ahead of time, maybe just looking at, you know, what are we celebrating on Sunday? Why is it important? Uh, maybe ordering our lives around uh, Sunday to being the Lord's Day. Obviously, it's easier said than done, especially if you have long, young little kids and so forth. But it's just reminding ourselves continually of the importance of keeping faith and God at the top of our priorities. And maybe I'll talk about exercise as in spiritual exercise as well, not the spiritual exercise, but spiritual exercise. So I remember being a young man and, and being uh, training for sport, if you will. And one of the things that we would get punished with, if you will, is we would have to do extra push-ups. Push-ups were hard for me. I mean, push-ups were just brutal, right? Uh, but it, it, was, it was a preparation to get that body strong, mm -hmm. right? Today, push-ups are my favorite thing. It's, it's my best body exercise I have. I don't, I don't uh, lament them or run away from them. I, I need them, want them. Yeah. And sometimes some of our spiritual exercises might seem 
daunting, difficult, difficult to accomplish or even do? And, and I'll throw a couple out there. Maybe you could take, talk about it. Saying the rosary every day, doing adoration. How do I sit quiet? How do I sit quietly for an hour every day? Maybe the first time it's hard, but what, what do you think, Father? Yeah, I think one of the great um, saints of this example is St. Paul. I mean, he uses so much athletic language. It's, it's so inspiring where he talks about, you know, I pummel my body. I mean, that's a very strong word. And you're, you're noticing the difference between the, the body and the spirit. And the body has to be aligned with the spirit so that the two of them can work together. And we see very very many times how they're opposing uh, the body, the flesh. I just wants to sit around and eat, you know, Ted Drew's all day. Whereas the spirit is saying, no, I mean, we have to get going. There are good values at stake and virtues to be uh, acquired. And, um, you know, when St. Paul is referencing faith in light of sport, it's very true in our own lives as well, that we've all accustomed ourselves to bad habits sometimes and vices. And the good thing about especially our spiritual lives, it kind of, again, reorients us back to what St. Paul is not only talking about, but leading, helping us to lead good, holy Catholic lives. Right. And because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. It's right. actually good. Exactly. Right? And uh, Paul, you're making me think about Paul. Paul's a tough guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he talked about athletic language. He, he, he and, and I don't know, can I say he... I don't want to say brag, but he told the truth. How about that? What did he say in that one uh, uh, passage? He said, I have been shipwrecked X number of times. I've taken the 40 lashes less one so many times. Mm -hmm. I've been stoned X times, uh, on and on and on. He says, I persevered. Yeah. And in sport, what do we see? We see these folks that actually, that, that we look at as heroes or whatever, the great ones, they persevered. You know, you, you think, man, I, I would have been, on the ground, my face in the dirt, I couldn't, but they persevered. It's the same thing in faith. We need to persevere. And I'll suggest that there is uh, value in that perseverance. There is value in the suffering. There is value in the pursuit. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh, epitomizes a lot, of, a lot of different sports, but I think one that I think of right off the bat is uh, the Ironman. So the Ironman is uh, especially if you do a full one, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a full 26.2 marathon run. And I remember it's a famous video of, it's called The Crawl, where after doing that much exercise and extending yourself that much, your body, especially as it breaks down glucose and everything's like that, has absolutely nothing left. And I think that's one of the great things about sport. It pushes you to the absolute limits with a healthy uh, way of channeling that. But again, there's this famous video of this a uh, young woman, she was literally crawling to the finish line because her body just didn't have it. Her mind was okay, but her, her body just didn't have it. And just seeing her literally on hands and knees crawling over the finish line, I mean, I think that epitomizes everything that you didn't know about faith is because, yeah, we are all going to have hard and dark times. That's not a question of if. It's only a matter of when. And how do we, by the grace of God, stand on rock and not allow our houses be built on sand that will help us to persevere, which is the faith, the sacraments, having good relationships in our lives. I like this. This is getting good. Uh, you know, the, what is that? The uh, uh, the uh, I'm, I'm will. Uh, the faith is willing, but this. Yeah, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There you go. There you go. But that's how it is in sport too. You yeah. know, I mean, you you want to do it. The mind is with you, but it isn't there. But so let's let's talk about the the, the suffering part of it and how it's worthwhile, right? Uh, again, we're we're picking on Paul. So I uh, looked up my handy-dandy Bible here. So I've got Colossians uh, 1.24. And uh, John Paul, the great, uh, uh, uses this line in one of his first encyclical, not one of his first, but I, I think it was in 78 or 79, his encyclical. And it was uh, uh, on human suffering. Uh, Sylvific Dor Sylvifa Dor I can't even Dolores, say it. Yeah. Yeah, Sylv Sylvific Dolores, I yep. think. Uh, it says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. So he, he is putting purpose to his suffering. Yeah. He's putting, he, he's saying, it isn't suffering for suffering's sake. It isn't empty. It's actually redemptive. Right. 
And that's the great thing about sports and especially training. Uh, if you have a Christian perspective, all that training is not in vain. Like we don't compete for physical trophies. I mean, that's, that's true. That is part of sport. But also those things are rapidly passing away. So as to preserve our spiritual house, again, using St. Paul's language, we need to pummel our bodies. We need to put ourselves through the axe and the grind so that we can, again, allow ourselves not to be disqualified. Because disqualification means that we've not only been distracted by the world or by our own desires or ego, but we've, we've missed the whole essence of why we train in the first place. And any athlete will tell you, especially uh, the more accomplished they become, Everything is so calculated. I mean, look at, for example, professional golfers. Right. A lot of them, especially that are top end, they have their own personal chefs. Like there is oh, no, really? yeah, there's no detail left unnoticed because everything matters every minute of every day. Because you want to, literally, your body is not just a machine. It's a way in which you're trying to get the greatest potential out of it. And with the advances in modern science and technology, we're seeing athletes do things that just did not seem humanly possible 20, 30 years. I mean, look at Bryson DeChambeau, who hit almost a 400-yard drive, but just the way he conditioned his body. And again, his own background in science definitely helped him. But it's just amazing to see what, as athletes, they're able to do. It's, it's amazing. I cannot find the heresy bell. I know it's around here somewhere, so we'll, we'll, we'll hit it when we have to, because I'm going to go dangerously close, so could, could <laughs> help, help, help me out. You know, we, we got confession afterwards if it's necessary. So here we go. Uh, I think that, I, th I hope, that what we do, we can make a prayer. You know, we Catholics are really good about having those prayers that we are, we have, and we memorize. And frankly, that's good. You know, when we're in in in, in a difficult circumstance, man, may I might not have the words, but I have my prayers, and I can go right to it. But can't we make our lives a prayer? Can we go for a five-mile run and and make that run a prayer? Can we? Can we uh, uh, dedicate that effort to God as a prayer? Yeah, I would say, you know, no suffering goes um, unused if, if we think properly. So we talk about the famous expression, you know, offer it up. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, all the time. Right? Yeah. So when we're offering it up, it means that that's not whatever I expense, whatever I suffer, whatever I sweat through tears and blood, whatever it may be, that there can be some use for that. And actually, John Paul II one of my heroes, yes. as I've mentioned many times and for the rest of my life, that even when he was a young priest, didn't necessarily understand suffering to the degree that he was when he got older. Because the suffering that he endured when he got older, he realized he may not be able to give as well of his uh, speeches and Wednesday audiences, but actually what his homily became is him literally coming to the to the door, to the window, as he was, his head was tilted down, as literally the world could see him suffer, because that's how the shepherd leads, is when the sheep uh, see the shepherd suffer for them. And that in of itself is a theology, because any word of uh, belief or notion or practice, if you don't talk about suffering, is a very dangerous philosophy, because suffering, it's, it's within all of us, not just from a theological perspective, but on a human level. You know, our bodies break down. I heard a great, um, you know, there's, uh, actually it's, Father Time is undefeated. So the more we just understand that and accept that, how can we channel what God wants to give to us in a way that will bear the most fruit, even as we grow into the twilight days of our, of our lives? Right. Our, uh, everything in our life has meaning. And when we say offer it up, we are uh, ourselves acknowledging the suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, Maybe we're not seeking it out, probably shouldn't, but we are dedicating it to something greater. We are saying this is for God's glory. Everything we can do, we can do for God's glory. But I think the point here when we say offer it up is it's the conscious effort, uh, being present at the, at, in the moment to say, I am going to affect something positive here. Yeah, because that, that actually goes into, ties in with the, the mystical body of Christ, right? So if I'm suffering, maybe not just like sport, but emotional, psychological, spiritual, and I acknowledge it in that time, that I can then say, God, whatever the suffering is, I'm offering it up because that's what connects us is the mystical body of Christ. Of all the things, again, that God could have done to uni unify the world, what did he pick? He picked the most shameful, humiliating thing any human could ever experience, the cross. 
And Romans taunted and intimidated any Christian in thinking, if you're going to speak against uh, the name of the emperors, this is your fate. And Christ overwhelmingly shows us that it's through our sufferings, our weaknesses, our calamities that really God becomes strong in us. And that's how we endure. We do. And and let me just flip that on its head a little bit. It's also a a conundrum to those people who who don't have faith. I, I, I remember having a conversation with one of my new partners, my new business partners. We were at our retreat. It's his first time there. And I meet his wife and he has the Star of David on a, on a necklace. So uh, aside from his last name, I, I figured, man, this is a religious Jew, right? And I, I start talking about that, and he says, no, no, wait, Pete. He says, I'm an atheist. And, and, and I'm scratching my head, the hair, I'm scratching all the hair I have left, and how does a Jew be an atheist? And here's what he told me. He said, I cannot believe that an all-good God would allow such good people to suffer. Yeah. It is, it, it is suffering that builds us up and we can dedicate that to God, but it is also that conundrum that keeps people away from God and the church. Yeah, and that's, that's the million-dollar question right there. How does a good God allow suffering and evil to exist? And our short temporal lives on this earth, whether it be five days or 105 years, we don't know to the extent of our suffering what kind of fruit it will actually bear fruit. Because the greatest example is Jesus. I mean, here, all of his followers left. He basically died uh, in front of everybody. I mean, because when he was crucified in Jerusalem, that simply meant that, that was the center of the world. And everybody thought they pitied him. They felt bad for him. And even after he died, that the Romans and everybody else said that his body was actually hidden by his followers. And so, well, what does that lead us to the resurrection? And now look at where we are 2,000 years later. For a lot of people, the rallying cry is the cross, that at one point was a stumbling block to the Jews and really foolishness to the Greeks becomes our only connection to the next world. Right. Uh, and, you know, coming back to the sport analogy or simile or whatever it is, uh, you know, we've heard this a thousand times, no pain, no gain, right? Mm-hmm. There, there sometimes has to be a pain in order for there to be a gain or at least properly uh uh, directing yeah. that pain. You've, you've probably heard people in such pain that they actually get angry at God, yeah. right? It, it's, uh, and that's understandable. I'm not saying it's not. But it, it is directing that pain to a positive good. We yeah. all can do it. Every, Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. But he's allowed us to participate in yeah. it. What a great gift. And I would be so bold as to say, Whatever is worth doing in your life, you have to expect suffering and sometimes deep suffering for not only the people that you're working for, working with, or your family or loved ones, because everything in this life comes at a price. It comes at a cost. It may be visible. It may be invisible. But if we dedicate ourselves understanding that there is a medium through the suffering that produces the great fruit, again, whether it be in your spiritual life, your professional life, your personal life, There are all ways in which this kind of philosophy helps us not only to survive this life, but really thrive. Um, And in fact, many of the saints would actually pursue suffering to the degree that I don't look for suffering as, oh, I'm torching myself, but rather what the suffering really offers and teaches us. And that's, that's what leads to spiritual greatness. That's what leads to greatness in all parts of our lives. And, and, you know, I was looking at the saints for this week. I, I think uh, last week, or the first, I should say, the first full week in July seems to be blessed so-and-so and saint so-and-so and companions. <laughs> there, was, there was great, great suffering. The, the martyrs. The martyrs, right. Yeah. St. Augustine, Zhao, wrong, and companions. Uh, and then I think there was another one. I think it's uh, St. Gregory Grassi and companions. Those two, there's more. Those two saints were, uh, I think, related uh, around the Boxer Rebellion uh, in China, uh, which I'm going to tell you more about, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Krutz, and I'm here with Father Father David Hogan. I almost called you something else. I was looking at a note here. (laughs) And we are talking about faith, vocation. And sport, how'd that come in here? But these folks talk about persevering. They went to bring the faith, and they persevered, right? They suffered. They, 
They literally gave their lives. Yeah. Literally gave their lives. Uh, uh, another suffering, I, this is one of my favorite saints, so I, I have to mention her. Uh, St. Maria Goretti's uh, uh, feast day was on Monday. Did you want to? Yeah, she is incredible. She gives so much hope to any young person having to make a difficult decision when somebody is dominating or seems intimidating. And she really gives great hope to young people of to not be afraid of your own voice, you know, to not be afraid of the hope that lies within you. And though, again, she experienced that at a great cost of her life, but her life, again, whenever she died until whenever this world comes to an end, she will always be a great example of saying, you know what, no matter the peer pressure, no matter the temptation to maybe um, separate oneself from the gifts of faith, that it is possible. It's not to say that that will always happen, but her own life, how she was stabbed and still actually prayed for her, her attacker, her killer, and yeah. wanted him to not only be um, uh, with her in heaven, but just that he would then understand how God loved him. It's another example of how suffering can be uh, fruitful. So she was a, a young girl, and this guy, with, when her parents were gone, were co he, he was coming to have her way with her, and, and he, she just wouldn't, wouldn't mm -hmm. give in under no circumstances. And he, she lived for 24 hours after he had stabbed her, and before she died, as you said, Father, before she died, she forgave this man. Mm -hmm. And this man went to jail for, I think he had a 30-year sentence. He served 27 years. Um, most of that time, he was defiant and ticked off, if you will, until he had a vision, dream or vision, of uh, Maria Goretti coming to him with flowers. And he was a changed man. Yeah. And this man actually was at the canonization of this young, young girl. We, we here are in St. Louis, uh, 100 years, not, not quite 100 years uh, since, we're still talking about the virtue of this girl. We're, you know, we're talking about how she has brought so many people to faith. She brought her attacker, her murderer, to faith. Yeah. Isn't that our end goal in the end anyway? I mean, we, we, we can survive, suffer all kinds of different things, but isn't our goal to make it to heaven and to help those we know yeah. to make it to heaven as well? The greatest gift that God ever gave to us is the gift of himself, that is love incarnate. And her story really epitomizes the strength of what love means. And I just, I shake my head every time when we associate with love with emotions or feelings or sentimentalities, like a Hallmark kind of, and that's, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you have those things. There is the level of attraction that you have when you meet somebody, but you learn and, you know, you're married that eventually, it doesn't say that that goes away, there has to be a deeper motivating factor of wanting to care for that person. You're willing the good of the other in that, in that capacity. And so when we have people like St. Maria Goretti and all the martyrs who died in the Colosseum, which many times that was also seen as sport when the beasts and, and all these gladiators would destroy Christians, many of whom were very young. They were teenagers, young boys, young girls, which is truly tragic in every sense of the word but how much inspiration that you can see from somebody living that kind of faith. And who knows? I mean, we may see some of that in America here, but that's left to be unseen. We, we can't really say that one way or another. But again, love conquers all things. And when everything else passes away, love of God will truly remain because God is timeless. He doesn't go away. And let me key on something you just said, Father. Love is an emotion, okay, but love is an act of the will. Mm -hmm. Think of the people who you would say are great heroes. You know, it's an act of the will. The fireman who goes into the burning building, that's love. Yeah. That's giving of oneself. The parent, if you will, who, who perseveres through the night, if you will, with the child who's ill, that's an act of love. The older married couple who care for each other, stay up all night, bring them to the hospital, do all those things that need to be done. That is an act of the will. It, and and I'll, I'll suggest that forgiveness is also an act of the will. It isn't an emotion per se. You know, look, when we're in sport and we, we have to do that last rep or we got to do those last five push-ups and we might not want to, but we, we, we actively decide to do it, right? Mm -hmm. 
and and that's and that physical pain of those last exercises make me think of forgiveness. Forgiveness hurts, but it is an act of the will. You have to start out with the act of the will well before you get to the emotional part, because you'll never get to the forgiveness if you wait for the emotion to come in, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even to use St. Paul in a different context. So the famous reading that 99.9% .9 of every couple wants at their wedding is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. And maybe this may scandalize some people listening, but the reason why St. Paul wrote that wasn't to have it uh, beautifully read at your wedding, but it was because the town of Corinth was actually filled with uh, sexual promiscuity. And so he had to teach the people living in Corinth, that town, how to love again, how to really to love believes in all things, hopes in all things, endures, love never fails. And when St. Paul wrote that to that community, how I'm sure liberating that must have felt that I don't have to treat each other as uh, something for my own pleasure, my own gratification, that I actually can respect an individual and their own purpose. And it's, I'm sure that town hopefully to some degree flourished, but St. Paul, like all of us, love has an act of the will associated. Yeah, again, you know, you have feelings and, and attachments and attractions, but that will fade quickly. And if there's not something deeper, again, your house being built on rock, then it will slowly fade away. You were mentioning before that St. Paul was kind of a tough guy, and, yeah. and he was. You know, I have, I have heard that uh, uh, first, first, first Corinthians 13 many, many times, weddings and otherwise, but I don't imagine St. Paul said it so nicely. I think he yelled it. <laughs> I think he pounded his fist on the table, and he says, love is patient, love is kind. He wasn't being nice. The, the one thing I love is where it says, love endures all things. Well, we have endured, you have endured an hour with us, uh, and Father, it's been a great, great pleasure. Uh, we, we talked about sport and faith and vocation and perseverance and suffering and endurance. So endure all things. Look, we, we talked about some martyrs out there who gave the last full measure, if you will. Give the little measures. Everything you do, give it up as a prayer because that's what God has allowed us to do. So, Father, thank you very much for being with us. We have a few seconds. Would you give us our, a blessing? Sure. Good and gracious God, we thank you again for this opportunity to, to share in prayer and fellowship and friendship over the airways. Rest, please help us in our lives of faith and suffering to endure to the very end by your grace. The Lord be with you. And with you, Spirit. May Almighty God bless you and all who are listening. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Thank you, Father. There you go.